Well, you guys have all heard the saying, I know you have, I know I have too, that they say that uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I know probably your mother's taught you that or your grandmother's taught you that to try to help your feelings to feel better when you've come home from school and some mean bully was calling you names or whatever. But you know, if I've ever heard a saying that's not true, it has to be that one. I mean, you can, you, you can remember back to first grade, fourth grade, whatever grade something happened. You can remember the look on their face. You can remember what they said. You can't even remember what you were wearing or maybe even your teacher's name or you can't remember the grades you had or anything like that. But you can remember some of those things people said to you because for some reason there's something about our words that cause them to stick to us sometimes. They can like stick to you kind of like glue. And I have an illustration to show you guys. I wore this sweater on purpose in case no one else did because I knew it was going to be warm today. But I wore the sweater anyway. But I got these little sticky balls. Let's see if they'll stick to you, Aaron. Why don't you come up here? You're a, you're a nice big target for me. You are a big target. I'm going to try to nail him with these. I'm definitely aiming for your chest, so if it goes anywhere else, it's not intentional. So, uh, But in life, uh, you, can, you can go through life and you just stuff happens. And people can just walk by you, they can say something to you, they can just, and they, they can, uh, they, sometimes, it depends on what you're wearing, you know, he might have his, his, his shield of faith on there, or he might have the right kind of clothing on or whatever, but let's see if this one works better. But they can just say, hey, there we go, they can say something to you, and it can, it can just stick. Uh, I don't know why, often I think if you go deeper, there's actually a spiritual assignment on your life. And that person is actually picking up on something that's assigned to you in the, in the spirit realm. I'm de- if that's too much for you, I'm just telling you, but it happens. I'll give you an example. But um, They're picking up on something, and it's like you have this target or name over your forehead or over your head. And they could say something to you that you heard in another state or another country, and they'll say the exact same thing as an insult to you as you heard somewhere else. And uh, it might come across as just a little gentle thing. Oh, God bless your heart. And they're thinking, man, you are so stupid. God bless you. A good thing you're good looking because uh, God didn't bless you too much with brains. Or, I mean, I've heard people say stuff like that to, 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 their, to their kids. Well, good thing God made you pretty when they get their report card. And, uh, you know, that, that might be funny, and it's, but it's not. That kid it has that because they're going to grow up thinking that they're stupid. And they've got this assignment on their life. So their whole life, they're like, well, I can't go to college. I can't do this. I can't pass school. I can't read that book. I'm not, I'm not smart enough to understand that book. I can't do those kind of things. And they have these assignments over their life. And we pick up on them, even your own children, and you can say them to them, and it becomes like a word curse that sticks to them. Everyone in here has experienced this. I know for a fact. I haven't done so with everybody in here, but I just know it because it happens. You've said something out of your mouth, or you've said something something that's said to you, and for whatever reason, it's just stuck to you. You're like 15, 16, 20 years old, like, why in the world do I still care what so-and-so thinks of me? Why in the world do I still care that so-and-so thought I was an idiot, or so-and-so thought I was something? Well, because there were words that stuck to you. They stuck to you because our words are like containers. They carry power. They carry something, and they're just not just syllables, they're just not alphabet letters mixed together, they carry something, an anointing, if you will, something is carried on those words that can be assigned to you, and they'll stick to you unless you do something with it, unless you do something about it. Thank you, Aaron. You can keep those if you want, or you can take them off. We can get, yeah, good luck with those ones. Um, but, you know, you can go through life, and you can have those little Velcro things stuck on your back. They can be stuck to your chest. They can be stuck to you. They can affect your posture and how you walk. They can affect all of because you have a deep down inner belief there's something wrong with you. And it started from the enemy's assignment and then from there it went to someone else's words confirming what the devil is trying to get people to say over your life to get you to believe it. Because once he gets you to believe it, you're going to be stuck there. It won't matter if you're 50, 80, or 120. You're going to still believe those things until you take those Velcro balls off of you and believe what God has to say over your life. You've seen people like that, haven't you? I mean, some that are just so afraid of this or so afraid of that, and you have this awesome impression of them. You think they're just great. You think they have it all worked out, but internally they have these things stuck to them that is just causing pain. It's causing them to believe something that's not true. 
Well, in Proverbs 18.21, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Death and life is in the power of your tongue, your mother's tongue, your father's tongue, your aunt and uncle's, grandparents' tongue. And, uh, I mean, I know we, we've all heard this funny sayings they say, you know, I, uh, I heard Debbie say, before, which I think is really funny, but that guy's so ugly, he, he fell out of the ugly tree and hit every branch on the way down. <laughs> you know, that's funny, right? But if, you, if a parent said that to their kid, or somebody said that in seriousness, man, that's going to leave a mark. It's going to leave something. And there's things you heard about you from a child, from a, a bully at school, or a teacher, a PE teacher, somebody, your parents, somebody. There's things you heard at school that, that cause you to believe some of the things you believe even today about yourself. And you know what? God didn't say them over you. God didn't say them. He didn't declare that over your life. He didn't say this is the way it is and you're just going to have to deal with it. I'm sorry, son, you did hit the ugly tree and you hit every branch on the way down. You're going to stay that way. Or you hit this or you hit that. Or I'm sorry, you're not very smart. I gave the brains to your sister or I gave the brains to your brother. God is not like that. But, you know, if you believe that, that will definitely stunt your, your mental growth, your spiritual growth. Our words have power. And these verses tells us they carry the power of life and death. And whichever one you like the best is the one that you're going to eat. You're going to eat it. The people around you are going to eat it. They're going to experience an atmosphere in your home that's either an atmosphere of life or it's an atmosphere of death. And you have the power to choose. It's your voice. It's your tongue. So whichever one you like, whichever one you choose to speak, that's the kind of life you're going to experience. Hmm. Now, you may say, come on, Pastor. I thought God was sovereign. I thought God chose, you know, what kind of life you're going to experience and how all these things were decided before you were even born. Well, there is some truth in that to some degree, but he did choose what seeds you're going to live in. I believe he chose your parents, which has an influence on where you were born and stuff like that. But the quality of life you experience, that's going to come from right under your nose, right under your own mouth, your words. You say, well, pastor, I grew up in a home that was like this, and I grew up in a home that was like that, you know, and we all have different experiences like that. But at some point, you're going to have to take those balls, those, star, those Velcro things off of you, and believe what God has to say, or you're not going to be able to change your identity to believe what God has to say about you. The quality of life you experience is coming from the power of your tongue. So this really shouldn't surprise us when you think about it, because we are created in the image of God. And think about the power of God's words. He spoke to nothing, and all of a sudden there was everything. He spoke to nothing, and all of a sudden there's a big, massive sun. That's I don't, even, I don't know how big it is, but it's hot, and it's really large. Uh, a bunch of planets, stars, atmosphere, solar system, galaxies, you, me, trees, water, out of the power of his mouth. And then when in the garden, he said, let us make man in our image. You have creative power in your words to speak life. But unfortunately, you also have destructive power of evil and death in your, in your mouth too, if you allow it to. I think James addressed that in chapter 3, saying, my brother's fresh water and salt water shouldn't flow from the same spring. But he said that because sometimes it does. It does. Sometimes we let our emotions get the best of us. And we're not speaking out what we believe. We're not speaking out what we want to see happen in our life. We're not prophesying over our children their destiny, the calling of God in life. We're speaking out of our emotions, out of our frustrations, because they, they forgot to clean out the toaster, or they forgot to put their dishes away, or they forgot to make their bed, or they forgot to whatever. And you're like, well, did you ever remember this? And what, why is wrong with your mind? And man, when are you ever going to remember I'm telling you this for 20 years to do this? You know, or whatever the case might be. And we can speak out of our emotions, out of our feelings, and we let our feelings dictate what we're going to say. Well, do you think God hears those too? You think there's power in those words too? If we, let, if we have anger and hatred in our heart, guess what words are going to come out? To somebody, they're going to come out. You might be on your best behavior at work. You walk around with your, your nice outfit. When you get home, your kids or your spouse is going to feel it. There's anger in your heart. If there's frustration, if there's fear, anxiety, if there's whatever, it's going to come out somewhere, and usually it comes out on our family because we're around them the most. You let our guard down. So if you're feeling joyful, you're going to speak happy words. It's the same thing, but those words are going to come from your heart. And what you meditate on, what you think about, is going to create the atmosphere for what you say. 
And I was like, come on, Pastor, you're making this too easy. Well, uh, it's not too easy. Controlling your thoughts is one of the hardest things there is to do. It's the hard, one of the hardest things there is to do. And it's, guess what? I can't do it for you, and you can't do it for me. I wish you could sometimes. <laughs> I wish I could for you sometimes. But emotion-led words and spirit-led words, they both have the power of life, and they have the power of death. Which one you choose to speak, which one do you choose to declare over yourself, your family, your finances, your health, your children, is the one you're going to eat. Man, that's a sovereignty of God sermon right there. <laughs> I'm just telling you, that's the word of God. He is sovereign, and in his sovereignty, he put life and death in the power of your tongue. And those who love it are going to eat the fruit thereof. Romans 8, 6 says, For to be carnally minded or fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If you think carnally, you're going to speak carnally or fleshly. What's fleshly? That's speaking what you feel. I feel tired. I feel grouchy. I feel this. I feel that. Therefore, I feel this way, so I am this way, so I have to speak this way. No, you do not. There's a thing called self-control. It's part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, amen? And we all need to, to tap into that once in a while. The more often, the better, amen? There's also uh, there's the spiritually minded will bring life and peace to you and those around you in your home. It will shift the atmosphere even in your classrooms, even in a school filled with fear, filled with whatever, with kids that are traumatized from their homes and whatever. Your peace that you carry can be released into your classroom or your home or your heart and change the atmosphere around you. Did Jesus not do that? I mean, did Jesus have an opportunity to get angry and mad? Oh, hell yeah. But he, he used self-control when he spoke. Sometimes you wonder if he stretched the line a little bit with the Pharisees. But I think even then he was doing that for their good, not his good. Because they were deceived. So uh, Psalms 19.14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Or Jesus said it this way, Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth is going to speak. What you meditate on, what you think about, what you dwell on, is going to eventually come out. You guys ever experienced this? Um, maybe at home or you're driving down the road or something like that, and you're just lost in thought. You're driving down the road, and all of a sudden you're 10 miles up the road. You can't even remember how you got there. You can't even remember one turn you made. It's like, whoa, you just kind of snap out of it, like, whoa. And sometimes you're driving down the road like that or you're at home, and you're deep in this thought, and all of a sudden you ask the person beside you a question, mid-thought, mid-train of thought. They don't even know what topic you're talking about. They don't even know what subject, what day of the week, or if it's from 20 years ago, whatever. Like, so what do you think about that? I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no, what, what topic are we talking about? I've done that to Holly. Holly's done that to me. I'm sure you guys have done that too. Where we just mid-thought jump in there and we just think they're going to know. Well, it's the same way. What you meditate on is going to eventually come out. It's going to come out. So we have to think about good things. So um, I'll show you the perfect example of this is found in Numbers chapter 13. We're going to look at that chapter and 14 this morning. Um, Numbers 13, we'll begin in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Cana, which I am giving to the Israelites. I want you to remember that part. What did God say? He's giving it to them. All right? He's giving it to them. It's theirs. It belongs to them. It's theirs. They own it. Okay? Um, send some men to explore the land of Cana, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So the Lord... Uh, so at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran, and all of them were leaders of the Israelites. So these 12 men were not just uh, random 12 guys they picked that said, uh, what are you doing this week? You busy? Uh, I'm doing nothing. This well, I've got to build a tent, and I've got to feed my animals, and I just, why don't you send so-and-so? They sent the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes that were leaders over thousands of people. These were leaders. So they sent the leader of the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Simon, the tribe of Judah, which was Caleb from the tribe of Ephraim, which was Joseph's son, which was Joseph. He sent the leader uh, uh, from the tribe of Ishkar, Benjamin, Zebulun, Manasseh, Dan, Asher, Naphtali, and God. The, the leader of all of those tribes came together, and Moses sent them out to go investigate this land that the Lord was giving them. Okay? The Lord was giving them. All these leaders were instructed to spy out this land for 40 days. I guess they really had to free up their calendar, didn't they? Forty days they had to go on this trip. Now, I'm assuming they went out in groups of twos. It doesn't really ever say that, but I, I'm assuming they did that. We'll pick this up in verse 25. 
At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. It does flow with milk and honey. It is good, just as good as you said it is, and here's the fruit. The fr verse 23 says the fruit was so good that two grown men, had, two of their leaders, had to carry back the grapes, one cluster of grapes, on a pole to bring it back. Those are some big old grapes. I mean, they're like, they must have been the size of grapefruit or bigger or something. They were some big grapes. And uh, they brought back pomegranates and figs, a whole bunch of stuff back. They gave it to Moses. It does flow just like you said it does. Just like God said it would, would flow for 430 years. I'm sending to you a land flowing with milk and honey. They saw the bees. Maybe they tasted the honey. They were there and they experienced that. But, but, you can tell by their next thing that they say out of their mouth is what they've been meditating on. What they were thinking about during those 40 days. The grapes were not the only thing that were large in the land of Cana. Okay? Verse 28 says, But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. Now, I don't know if, if you guys all remember who the Nephilim are, so I'm going to remind you. Um, but in Genesis 6-4, <coughs> can I get some water from one of you guys, please? I should have asked this before. Yeah, you're a good candidate, Taylor. Just come get this for me. Thanks. Um, but Genesis 6-4 says, The Nephilim were on the earth, and in those days and also afterwards. This is around the time of the flood. So they were before the flood, and it says they were there after the flood. When the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. Now the word Nephilim means fallen tyrant or bully, giants or fierce warriors. So heroes probably isn't the best word here in our culture because heroes are usually good guys. These heroes were not good guys. These were bad guys. And the word actually means powerful, by implication, a warrior or a tyrant. In uh, Arabic, it means one who magnifies himself, behaves proudly, a tyrant who is bold and audacious. When I read that and just the definition of those words, it makes me think of Goliath right away. You know, Goliath, for 40 days... He stood there defying the armies of Israel. Thank you, son. Defying the armies of Israel and calling them names and making fun of them and saying all this thing. Just in, in, Of course, um, David comes along and said, hey, why are you guys sitting here letting him do this to you? For 40 days he did that. All right. Um, so the fall of these angels is actually told by Enoch, who's the great-grandfather of Noah, and he, so he, he walked with God. You remember he was raptured. He was no more. But copies of the book of Enoch were also found with the Dead Sea Scrolls. And although this book is not part of our, our Bible that we read every day, hopefully every day, it does line up with the Genesis account, and it, does, it is quoted by Jesus and is quoted in the book of Jude and other places in the Bible. So according to the book of Enoch, 200 fallen angels descended on Mount Hermon, which means forbidden place. This is a forbidden place. Mount Hermon is located on the northern border of the Promised Land. Also, Mount Hermon is the territory where Ham and his family migrated after God's judgment at the Tower of Babel. So according to uh, Genesis 10.6, Ham had four sons, and one was named Cana. If you remember, Cana was Ham's son, and Ham was the one that his father cursed. Do you remember that? So now he's living in this place. Cana, uh, Cana settled in the area of Mount Hermon, and southward into the territory that was to become the promised land. And that's why the promised land was called the land of Cana, because it belonged to Cana and, uh, in the days of Moses. So this is the location that the 12 spies were sent to, lo to go to investigate, was the land of Cana. The land flowing with milk and honey, but also the place where 200 angels, according to Enoch, descended there and became the Nephilim and formed giants. Now, I don't know if some of these giants became, because these giants had relations with these Nephilim, excuse me, had relations with human women, and they became half, half earthling, half human, and half whatever else, spiritual. Now, I don't know if some of those were Hercules and Achilles, or uh, some of those Greek mythology type people, if they even ever existed or not. If they did, I don't know. But they were half human, they, and half of them was not human. 
It was some kind of demonic spirit. So, did the 12 spies have a reason to be afraid of the land that they investigated? Yes. They had a reason. There were giants in the land. They weren't just making that up. There were giants there, big giants. We don't know if they were cyclopses, if they were like Thor, or if they're, we don't know what they were like. Marvel characters, we don't, they, they were big, they were strong, they had big houses, big walls, and they were scared of them. And for 40 days, this is what they thought about. Man, we fight them, they're going to kill us. They're going to wipe us out. We have no chance to take these guys out. They're bigger than us. They're stronger than us. They're the Nephilim. They came from the sons of Anak. Oh, man, they heard about them for who knows how long. But, you know, God knew they were there. God knew they were there, and he said, this is the land I'm sending you to. This is the land I told you to take it. So um, let's look at verse 31. The spies returned. They reported this, that there were giants in the land. Verse 31 says, But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report. Or the King James Version says, An evil report. It says, The land we explored um, explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Now, how many know they exaggerated right there? They were not all giants. Some of them were. But because you get looking at something... And the longer you meditate on something, we tend to exaggerate it. Everybody's like this. Everybody's got COVID. Everybody's sick. Everybody's whatever. Everybody's this. Everyone's a giant. Everyone's this. And no, it's not true. Everyone isn't a giant. The land they explored devours those living in. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come for the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. And you know what? God called their report evil. He called it evil. Um, what, what did they report? They reported what they saw. They reported what they felt. They reported what they experienced. They reported from their emotions. They reported from their flesh. They had a reason to be afraid. There was giants there. I've never fought a giant. I haven't fought too many people at all. And even those didn't go so well. I mean, my brother had a few good ones, I guess. I don't know if you call a winner or not, but mom broke it up one time with uh, breaking a yardstick over my back or his back. I can't remember now which one, <laughs> trying to break us up. But usually we got along pretty good. But God, they reported what they saw. They came back, and of course they felt afraid. They saw that the people who lived there were powerful. They saw these big fortified walls. They saw uh, who knows how many, how big these rocks were that the giants could lift to set in place. And they saw these big cities. They saw the giants. They saw all these large grapes and, I don't know, land full of milk and honey. And they, on the way back, they would have heard from each other, share these stories. What do you see? What do you see? And at least 10 of them, they're sharing some negative stories. They're sharing all from the perspective of, we have no chance here. They're going to crush us. They will wipe us off the planet. We should have just stayed in Egypt, where at least we could have lived we, could, we were better off there. At least we knew where our food was coming from. We had a place to live. Do you know it's so easy to, to forget what God's done in our life and want to go backwards? You know, these guys, I was saying that to you guys when we first started uh, just talking this morning, and they were in slavery. They killed all their two-year-old babies and younger. They killed all the boys. They, they murdered them. And then you want to go back there? They want to go back to this place? But, you know, it's funny how our, we have selected memory over looking backwards. We, all, we only remember the good things looking backwards. And we can't go back to 1989, guys. We can't go back to 2000 or anything else. We are in the situation we are in, and it's up to us to hear the voice of God and march forward. And we can be like the ten spies, and we can grumble and complain and get in fear and look how big this is and how big that is and how horrible this is and how horrible that is. And guess what? There is stuff to look at. There is horrible stuff going on in our country, evil stuff, demonic stuff. It is there. But are we going to believe God's report, or are we going to believe theirs report? When we believe their report, we're believing an evil report. We're not believing the report of the Lord, and we're going to stop listening to God because of who you're listening to the most is who you're going to believe. And the power of the words is going to come from, what did God say? But if we're like, well, all I can see is what's happening on the news, or all I can see is what's happening around me, or in this court decision, or this uh, vote, in this Senate thing, in this House thing, and that was very evil that passed this week, and I'm praying it doesn't pass in the Senate, the Equality Act, straight from hell, is where it is. I mean, if you read the whole, it's, it's against women, it's, it's, it's evil, it's very evil. Um, and we're praying against that. 
But guys, we cannot afford to fix our eyes on the government. We cannot afford to fix our, our eyes on other leaders, or the giants in the land, and this guy's so big, this guy's so powerful, and they have so much money, and they own the media, and they own this, and they're censoring us, and all this stuff, and let them try. Like Aaron said earlier, let them dump the water on. Let them dump that water on. Let's see what God does. Let them dump it. Let them dump it. Bring some more water. Let's make it worse. Let's see what God does. Our hope is not in, in us. Our hope is not in, in President Trump, even though God bless him. I'm thankful for him. Our hope is not in him. He can't fix what we're going through. And he couldn't, he couldn't last four years. He couldn't go forward and, and whatever. Our problem is right in the house of God. It's in the house of God. We have made idols in the name of God. We've made idols and we've worshipped the evil instead of focusing on what did God say. What did God say? Does anything else even matter? I mean, I know it's these got 40, 40 days is a long time. And every one of us, we can say, yeah, we want to be like Joshua and Caleb, and who doesn't, right? No one remembers the other guys' names. And they actually, they are listed. I did look it up. They are listed. Can't pronounce any of them, but they're listed there. But uh, we could have easily been, any of us in here, could have easily been a Joshua and Caleb, and we could have easily been part of the other 83% of the people that saw the giants, they smelled the fire, they smelled this, they tasted those big grapes, like lift, lift them like this, this is a big grape, you know, like whatever, they, they experienced it. And you know, somehow, what gets on the inside of us has to become bigger than what you're living through and what you're experiencing. Somehow your spiritual life has to supersede your physical life, your, the, the realm around us. Because what we see, hear, and taste, and experience is probably not going to change too often, even if we do have this mass revival and stuff, there's still going to be evil around us. There's still going to be murder and, and, and stuff that goes on that's not good, right? Because there's human beings on the planet. And they're filled with the devil until God gets a hold of them. So God called the things they saw, the things they heard, and what they felt an evil report. Evil. Okay? That land had been promised to them for 430 years. In verse 2, we saw earlier, God said, I am giving them this land. They were not going over there to ins just inspect the land and look at it, see if they could take it. They were supposed to go over there and look at the land and see how they were going to take it. They were supposed to go there and make a battle plan and come back. This is how we're going to do it. The you two tribes go this way, you guys go that way. We're going to come in from this side, and we're going to take them. That was why they were going there. It wasn't see, I wonder if we can do this. You think that was God's perspective? Now he said, I'm giving you this land. But they, that, they did not believe that. So they had this 10 spies came back with an evil report. So what was so evil about the report? They just were being honest, right? Just being honest. They saw, they told what they saw. They said what they experienced, what they tasted. What, they did, what was so evil about it? What was evil about it was completely contrary to the word of God. You know, how many times have we done that? I mean, I'm not reading this to judge them. Amen. God said he put this in here for our benefits, right? That's why he didn't tell these stories to make them look bad. He put it in there for our benefit. And we've all done that before. We've all gone to God. We've given him our evil report. You know, we've done it. I prayed about this guy, but it's not working. I prayed about this bill. I prayed about this situation. And it's not working. If anything, it's getting worse, God. And God's saying, who told you it's getting worse? Who's told you it's getting worse? And we're going by our flesh. We're going by our flesh, what we feel, what we experience, what, what's going on around us. It's getting worse. Who said it's getting worse? We can't see what's going on. Think of how Abraham felt. He's about to kill his son. That's about the worst you can get right then. He, son he waited for forever. He finally got this boy, but God had a plan on the other side of the mountain. A ram to get stuck by the thorn, by his horns to be sacrificed in his place. God has a plan. God has a remnant. God has a solution. But guys, we have to fix our eyes on what is he saying. We're not going to get peace from any other place. We've all done that, I'm sure. Like you prayed for a healing, or you prayed for whatever, a job, or a financial breakthrough or something. And after you prayed a couple times, a couple hours, a couple weeks, whatever it is, I don't know, depending on the situation, you go back to God and say, you know what? I'm not praying about this anymore. I give up. I've prayed. Clearly it's not God's will for me to do this or do that. Clearly it's not God's will for me to experience this or to get healed or whatever. And so he's just kind of throwing the towel and saying, I give up. I guess the sovereign of God is, this is just my lot in life. And you know what? That is an evil report. I'm not thinking of anybody in my brain right now. I'll think of myself. Uh, if anything, we've all done this. 
because we've, we've spoken out of our flesh, we've spoken out of our emotions, out of our feelings, out of stuff and not what we've experienced in life or how the pattern of our life or pattern of our family's life and not spoken of what did God say. And you know what? God calls those reports evil. So um, the ten spies came back. They let their emotions do the speaking. They, they were worked up when they returned. They were worked up. They were ready to kill anybody who had any different opinion of what they had. They, uh, they were putting censorship in place in the best they could. I'll show you that in a minute. They are talking about stoning them. So um, here's, here's uh, Joshua and Caleb's perspective on this. Um, let's find this here. I went so good. I went all the way down here. Okay, here we go. Verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and, and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. All right, so here's these ten guys. Got all their tribes worked up. They're all in a frenzy. They're all, like, heated. I mean, it's, it's not a fun conversation going on here. There's conflict. They can feel it. And then Caleb comes in, quiet, quiet, everybody be quiet. We can do it. We can do it right now. We can kick their tail. We're bigger than them. We're st- we can take them. And uh, they weren't too happy with that. This, this continues in verse 6 of chapter 14. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jehuna, Jehunin, uh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, we will, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, as we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Here's 12 guys that had uh, completely different perspectives after their 40 days. Went through the exact same situation saw the exact same things, witnessed the same giants there, tasted the same food, did all the same thing. What was different? What they meditated on, what they thought about. Joshua and Caleb were probably grouped together, and they were feeding off each other's faith. And feeding off. God said we can do it. For 430 years, he told Abraham. He told Moses. He told all these guys in between that we're going to eat from this land of uh, milk and honey, this is our promised land, uh, payment back for the years of slavery. It's, uh, it belongs to us. And they were, they were psyched up, they were ready to go, let's go take them right now, we can do this. Forget the battle plan, we're just going to go in and God's going to win the victory for us. And you know what? That word wasn't too popular in the camp. It wasn't very popular. These 12 tribes had them all worked up. And uh, verse 10 says, And the congregation said, and all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Let's kill them. There's some censorship for you. They have, they have a different report than we do. They have a different idea than we do. They might have a different perspective. So to shut them up and control the outcome, we're going to kill them. And anyone who wants to do what they want to do, we're going to kill them too. Man, does that sound familiar? I'm not trying to make this political. I'm just trying to say this is the, the, the time we're in right now. Yeah, it is not time for the children of God to be silent. It is not time for the children of God to shut up because the ten spies are afraid and they're, they're accusing us of whatever or whatever's going on. They were worked up, ready to kill anyone with a different opinion. But God had opinion as well. Let's look at God's opinion in perspective of this. Numbers 14, verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I performed among them? Verse 22. Because all these men who have seen my glory in the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice. They didn't listen to my voice. They didn't listen. 23. They certainly shall not see the land which I swore, uh, which means solemnly promised to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. God saw, said that they didn't heed his voice, and he saw them ignoring what he said as rejection. He saw it as evil. You know, they spent 40 days checking out that land, but they also had another 40-day trip. Do you remember this? It was about a 40-day trip they took leaving Egypt to get to Mount Sinai. 40 days, and that 40 days they saw the glory of God. 
They witnessed the ten plagues and how they didn't come near their dwelling place. They uh, experienced the Red Sea crossing and these walls of water and walked through on dry land. They saw water coming from a rock, things they've never even dreamed was possible. Moses walked over and whammo, and all of a sudden there was enough water for all their animals and them to come out of this rock, like an ocean or something. It was not just this little fountain coming by, like when you get a little, I mean, there's millions of people there and lots of animals. There's water came from this rock. He made, uh, they tasted the bitter water that God made sweet. They experienced it. They felt the presence of God. They heard his voice thundering at the, at the bottom of Mount Sinai. They experienced God, and yet they go 40 days over into this territory. They forget the 40 days they experienced before. You know what? Guilty. We have a 40-day adventure with God. We go on this retreat with God. Or we have this closeness with God. We experience these breakthroughs in our lives. Then we go on another 40 days that looks something different. And all of a sudden, have you abandoned me? Have you forgot me? Have you left me? Where are you, God? I'm calling up to you and I don't have an answer. What, what are you doing? And you know what? We're putting him to the test. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Your flesh might feel like he has. And my flesh might feel like he has. But he can't and he won't. I said he can't and he won't. Because he won't violate his word. He said he's never going to leave you. Guess what? He's never going to leave you. When you're being a jerk, you're being rude, you're being ignorant, you're speaking out of your flesh and spilling stuff on your friends or family, guess what? Even then, he's still not going to leave you. Because he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's not going to leave just because you stink some days. (laughs) He's good all the time. We do stink some days. Amen? We do. But praise God, even then, God the Father still loves you. At your worst day. On your best day. You can't earn it. Amen? So, God... So they put him to the test ten times, so they didn't heed his voice, and uh, therefore they're forbidden to enter the promised land, and the Lord said that they had rejected him. Rejected him. Now, uh, Numbers fourteen twenty six to 28. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. Now that, guys, is a scary verse right there. And there's many that are like that. God sentenced them to 40 years in the wilderness. One year for every day they explored the land and came back with an evil report. 40 years they had to be there. And uh, this is a perfect example of life or death being in the power of their tongue. They got to experience exactly what they said. He said, I'm going to do to you exactly what I heard you say. All right, the quality of life they experienced in the desert for the next 40 years was based on what they said. Is the quality of life we're going to experience for the next 40 years based on what we say? You know, we, have a, we are at a pivotal moment in church history, in world history. And it's not going to get any better by us moaning and groaning Grumbling and complaining, fussing and how, how unfair it is, how unconstitutional it is, or anything else. It's going to be affected by the power of life that's in our mouth. Its word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That's the word of faith that we speak. But if the word doesn't get near you, guess what? It's not going to get in your heart. And it's not going to come out of your mouth. You're not letting the word get near you because we're too afraid of this and that. Like, well, God's let me down, so now I can't spend time with him. He might have violated our understanding of what's going on, but he'll never let you down. Amen. He is the truth, the way, the truth, and life. So as surely, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. Knowing that, guys, should change how we speak to each other. It should change how we speak to God. Amen? I know our flesh feels like crying out sometimes, mm, this is not fair, this is not right. You know what? And sometimes it isn't fair and right. That could be in our home, in government, on any level, at job or work, whatever. But guys, God knows that. He doesn't need your judgment. He doesn't need your vengeance. He doesn't need your anger. He doesn't need you to get furious and you try to fix the problem. Does he? Unless he assigned you to do it. And that's another whole story. If he assigned you to do something about it. Uh, Matthew twelve thirty six says, But I tell you, every careless word that people say or speak, they shall give an account for it on the day of judgment. Or Matthew twelve thirty seven. For by your word you'll be justified, and by your word you'll be condemned. Guys, life and death is in the power of your tongue, the power of your mouth. And we're all going to experience, we're all going to eat 
from the fruit of the words that we say. And I know we can say, wait a minute, Pastor. Wait a minute, Pastor. Jesus. Word. Sorry. It's period. Closed. I mean, end of discussion. It's the word. Whether we like it or not is really not relevant. It's, it's God said it. And so uh, we need to be people that stand on the word of God. I'm going to tell you this story in closing. Charles Capps was a, a minister of the gospel. Before he was a minister, he was a farmer, and he farmed like 800 acres of land. He had cotton and a bunch of different things. And uh, Charles one time had this business adventure when he went in with this other farmer, invested a bunch of money, and uh, I think it was like $100,000 he invested. He, had, he sold like one of his farms to buy land. It was a bunch of money. He lost all of that plus an extra 25000 on top of that. So after that was over... He was, he was deflated, he felt defeated, and he was letting emotions get the best of him and speaking out whatever, he was just speaking out what he felt. And so when it came time to plant the cotton, he said, well, what does it matter? I can plant it down three inches and rain will come and flood it out. So he planted it down and next thing you know, rain came and killed his whole crop in a short time. And he said, well, I'll do it, let's go a different way and this time then this, the sun will burn it up. So he plants it uh, a, little, a little more shallow does the whole field. He starts speaking that around town. Well, it rain ruined it last time. I guess the sun's probably going to kill it this time. If I got any luck, that's my luck. You know, Murphy's Law. You know, if anything's going to go wrong, what's going to happen to me? Stop saying that. That's death. That's death. That's an evil report. How easy is it for the devil to stick those Velcro balls on you and you're the one speaking that stuff? Amen? You're making yourself a target. You don't even have to have a devil. You're cursing yourself. You say stuff like that. So he says this, and next thing you know, guess what? He gets it all planted, it's all going good, and then the sun comes up, burns his crop, he gets nothing. He goes, all right, I'll try one more time. So he plants another crop. And this time, after he finishes, he goes, now guess what? With my luck, this year, we'll probably have an early freeze, early frost, and probably kill the whole thing. And guess what happened? Early frost came, killed the whole thing. You know, there's power in our words for, for years he grew up farming that land for his whole life to that point. He had farmed it every year. He had a bountiful crop that paid for their family's needs and helped them expand and do all these things. But for, from then, when he started speaking like that, he couldn't make a dime. In fact, he was going back further and further and further in the hole. And uh, God had a perspective to say to him on that. I'm going to find this and read it to you. He said, uh, he, first he said, he still believed that God was good. He still believed in uh, Luke 6, 38, which says, Give and will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together. He believed all those things, but he didn't believe in the goodness of God. He didn't believe in the love of God. He didn't expect something good to happen in his life because his faith was based on the negative thing he experienced, not based on the word of God. His faith was based on that he lost $125,000 in a farm. His faith was based on that, not based on the word of God. So God visited him one day. He was praying, and by praying, I mean he was grumbling and complaining. Um, he said, one morning while he was praying, he said, Father, I prayed, and it's not working out. God spoke to him very clearly. He said, what are you doing? Charles said, I'm praying. And God said, no, you're not. You're complaining. And God said, who told you it's not working out? Come on, somebody. Who told you that? Who told you that's not working out? Who told you your business isn't working out? Who told you your family's not working out? Who told you your marriage isn't working out? Who told you? Who told you that? Who said that? Charles said, uh, thought for a minute and said, well, I guess the devil said that. Then God spoke something to him that totally changed and transformed his life. He said, I would appreciate it, Charles, if you would quit telling me what the devil said. So we might need to write that down on our fridge or something, guys. I'm telling life and death is the power of my words, your words, our words. God said, I'd appreciate you stop telling what the devil said. God's not too impressed with him. He's not too threatened by him, okay? Then God went on to say, now you have been praying for me to prosper you and to get the devil off of you. I am not the one that is causing your problems. You are under an attack of the evil one, and I can't do anything about it. You, are, you have bound me by the words of your own mouth. It is not, and it's not going to get any better until you change your confession and begin agreeing with my word. You are operating in fear and unbelief. You have established the words of the evil one on your behalf. By your own mouth, you will be released. By your own mouth, you, will be rele you have released the ability of the enemy. And if I did anything about it, I would have to violate my word, and I can't do that. God would have to violate his own word because he has to honor the words that we say. What we say, according to our faith, be it done unto us. The power of our words, life and death. 
Guys, clearly, our words are powerful. And they have an impact on more than we understand. Once he repented, he changed what he's saying. All of a sudden, his garden came back to normal. He started producing all the stuff like he used to do. You say it's coincidence. You can believe that. And guess what? You're going to enjoy the fruit of that. You believe it's coincidence. You take the power of God out of your life. You're going to speak accordingly. And when you speak accordingly, that's the fruit you're going to eat. Man, I wish there was somewhere good to look right now, but... I mean, I have a mirror here. I mean, it's, it's all of us. We're all in this. Uh, so if God brings up something to you like he did Charles, that you're saying over your life, you're saying over your health, you're saying over your finances or your, your children or something, let the Holy Spirit convict you. He's your friend. The conviction is not a punishment. The conviction is for your benefit. The conviction is to show you, hey, stop saying that. You're, you're not helping me here. I'm trying to work on your, in your behalf. I, I delight in the prosperity of my children. I have no problem blessing you, but you've got to shut that mouth up. You know, like, like uh, was it Zechariah or, or John the Baptist's father? He had to shut him up for nine months, so he was going to kill his own son. I can't have a kid. We've tried forever. An angel of God, I can shut him up. Sometimes I wish he'd do that for us, right? <laughs> It'd probably be more, we might not like it. You have to write on our little tablets for a while or whatever, or do our emails and text messages. But guess what? We'd probably see a lot more of the promises of God come to pass in our life. Amen? It would be better for us to say nothing to keep, than saying the, the poisonous, uh, I want to say like poo-poo type words out of our mouth because that's what you're going to taste. That's what you're going to eat. That's what you're going to experience. Amen? I'm having fun. I hope you are having fun. But, but, uh, but it is serious. It's real. It's serious. And life and death and the power of your mouth. If you want to speak what God's saying, guess what? You've got to hear what he's saying. How can you speak what he's saying if you don't know what he's saying? You're going to speak out of your flesh, and out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth's going to speak, and then you're going to eat that fruit. But guys, I'm ready for some new fruit, amen? I'm going to some new stuff, some bigger grapes, some good ones, some pomegranates, figs, whatever. I want to taste the land flowing with milk and honey, the promise of God over your life. It's going to come by what you say. And we can't say an evil report and expect a good report. You can't call for the dog, expect the cat to come. You're going to get what you say. Mark 11, 23, 24, whatsoever you desire, when you pray, when you're speaking, whatever you desire, the desires of your heart, what things you ever desire when you pray, believe you have received them and you'll have them. How are you going to believe you receive them? By the confession of your mouth until it gets from here and here until you believe it. It can't, it's not mind over matter. It's not Christian science. It's, there's a process called faith, and it has to come out of your mouth until it gets into your heart. And you've got to keep saying it. You've got to keep saying it and keep saying it. It was 430 years for them. Some of them kept saying it. Some of them didn't. And look what happened. I, think, I believe Joshua and Caleb's family grew up hearing about it. Hey, guess what? Oh, man, you, can't, you won't believe this. Uh, look what, what God did. Here's what he's going to do. And in 400, and so many years from now, guess what? He's going to do it again. And we're going to have this even better land and better, better farming and better grapes and better stuff. And I don't know when, but it's going to be after we get out of slavery. And this is what's happening. Some of them believed it along the way, and some didn't. And you know what? We're in the same life journey that they are. We don't live in Egypt. We don't live uh, over in Israel. We live right here. But you're going to experience the same thing they experience unless we change what we say. Amen. And change to the report of the Lord. Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, This day I call heaven and earth as a witness against you, that I have set before you. He called all heaven and earth. Listen up what I'm about to say. He said, I call heaven and earth as a witness here. Life and death, blessings and curses, I have set them before you. Now choose life so that you and your children will live. Guess what? That's going to come from your heart, the meditations of your heart, and the abundance of your mouth. And we are going to have to be disciplined on the things we listen to, the things we hear, and the things we say. You know, before Charles Cap had, had that land turnaround for him, God told him to go on a, a media fast. And this is like many years ago. He's not hearing some of the crazy stuff we get to hear today, but he, I'm sure it was still crazy in, in, in proportion to the, what year it was. So anyway, um, so once you go to a media fast, there was no social media, but there was no news, no newspapers, no magazines for him for, for two weeks. And instead, I want you to read the word and look at the promises of God. Well, guess what? It was easy for him to believe after that. He used to spent two weeks where he would have been watching the news, reading the paper and stuff. Two weeks in the word of God, getting the perspective of God. It was easy for him to believe the word because he put the word in him. It got near him. And then it got in his mouth, in his heart, the word of faith that he believed. Amen? 
Some of you, some of us, all of us maybe, I'll tell you this, all of us, it wouldn't hurt any of us to go on a media fast. It wouldn't hurt anybody. I'm fully convinced you won't die. If you, get, you come back and you have like 8 million messages, guess what? You'll get to them eventually. Most of them are probably a notification that somebody posted a picture of themselves. I mean, or whatever, you know. But uh, that's most of mine. <laughs> So-and-so posted or shared this one. But anyway, um, a media fast. If God leaves you, I'm not trying to manipulate anybody. I'm just telling you, we have to put the word in our heart if the word's going to come out of our mouth. Amen. It's not going to come any other way. It has to be near you and then in your mouth and then in your heart, all right? And it's your choice. He set that for you. 2 Corinthians 4.13, I'll close with this. It says, I believe, therefore I have spoken. And with the same spirit of faith, we believe and therefore speak. I believe what you say is what you believe. Okay? Now, you can say things you say you believe that you don't really believe. But what you say when you're not trying, those are the things you really believe. What you say when you don't have your faith cap on and your, everything's just right, you're in church, you've got your churchiology language already go churchies or whatever, ready to go. What you really say in the pressure of moments, when you're pressed, when the pressure's coming from different sides of you, at the doctor's office or at the bank or wherever it is, you're in this pressure. What you say then, guys, that's what's in your heart. And that's not a condemnation thing. It should be an empowering thing, because guess what? You can get it out of there. You speak to it. You put the word in there. You can get that out and start believing and speaking something different. Maybe some of you guys today, you feel like Charles, that You've tried this, you've tried that, and whatever, no matter what, the flood's going to come, or the frost's going to come, or the sun's going to burn it. I've tried everything I know to try, and everything I've tried, it's just not working. I've prayed, I've fasted, I've done all these things, and it's not working. And I feel like God would say to you, who told you it's not working? Who told you that? Who said it's not working? It might not be working on your timeline. It might not be working on your schedule, your, your, or your convenient timeline, or whatever for all of us, but... Uh, but it's, it, who said it's not working? Maybe you feel stuck and you don't know how to get out of it. Well, guess what? Proverbs 6, 2 says, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. If you are snared by your words, guess what? By the power of God, you can get released by your own words too, by the word, speaking the word of God. You don't have to stay stuck in fear or in torment, or anything else, you don't have to, because God Almighty Himself lives on the inside of you. And He wants you to prosper. He wants you to do well. He wants you to overcome. He wants you to walk in victory. Amen? All right, so our words have the power to alter the course of our life. They have the power of life and death. And if we do not like how our life looks right now, then guess what? We need to start saying something different. Amen? We need to start saying something different. And that's, what, that's going to take effort. It's not going to be easy. You're going to actually have to do it on purpose. Make a list of things you're saying. You hear yourself say, you might not want to ask your husband or friend to do that because, boy, they'll pick it up quicker than you will. Like, all right, stop correcting everything I say. You might not be able to handle it, right? But if you can do Holy Spirit, help me hear it. Help me hear what I'm really saying. Help me hear what I'm agreeing with. And someone tells you, like, well, you know, that's just the way it is around here. 